Well, that's certainly the aim. All glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ. That should be the surmise of our lives. That should be the trajectory of our lives. That He would be glorified in everything. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come to You and we do say, Forever, Lord, You rule and reign. All glory be to Christ. Lord, Your kingdom cannot be shaken. You are the sovereign ruler. You providentially work in all of history and life, bringing everything to its final end. And Lord, today we rest in that. Thank You, Lord, for the great hope that we have in front of us. Thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Thank You for the book of Hebrews. Thank You for the writer of Hebrews. Thank You for the words that are in Hebrews. And today, Lord, as we look to chapter 13, Lord, I pray that, Lord, You would open our eyes so that we can see the beautiful things that You have in Your Word for us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. I'm going to read the first uh, 20, 21 verses to us this morning. <clears throat> We're going to hone in on one verse today. One verse. Hebrews 13, the writer says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way, their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not... Be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. Therefore, let us go to Him outside the camp and bear the reproach He endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. 
Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is God's holy word. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14. The writer says this, he says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. In view of our text, in light of our text, I think it's good for us to start with these questions. In this life, are you a sojourner or are you a settler? Are you a permanent resident or are you someone who is passing through? More specifically, think about in 2022, were you a sojourner or were you a settler? Were you a permanent resident or were you someone who was just simply passing through? What would others say about you? How would others classify you? Would they say you're a sojourner passing through? Or would they say you're one who has settled here on this earth? What would they say? You think of the Old Testament for a moment and how God's people were described there. Some 51 times in the English Standard Version, the word sojourner is used to describe God's people. They were ones who set up tents. They lived in tents. They just passed through this life. Their eyes, their minds, their hearts were set on something to come. Here in the book of Hebrews, the author very clearly describes them not as settlers, not as permanent residents, but those who were sojourners, those who were strangers in this earth. Hebrews 11, verse 13, the writer says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. Or Hebrews 11, 8 through 9, it says, By faith, or by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of him of the same promise. You realize all of this life, all of his life, Abraham dwelt in tents. He was a stranger. He was one who was just simply passing through. And what our text tells us in Hebrews 13 verse 14 is that this was not just for those who have gone on before us. But it should be true of all believers. It should be true of all believers. It should be the declaration and the experience of all of God's people, His church. We're not to live as settlers. We're not to live as permanent residents here in this world. 
We're to live as strangers, sojourning our way through this life. And our text, it comes from a specific context of what we just read. But chapter 13 is likely the climatic part of what the writer of Hebrews is trying to communicate to his audience. We hear it in verse 13, where he says, Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. Here, the writer is emphasizing everything he has said to them in this letter. Throughout the letter, he's encouraged them to stay true to Christ, to never abandon Christ, to hold fast to Christ, to be part of the community of Christ, to belong to God and all that is His. That's what he's been saying to them all throughout this letter. And now the ground for everything is in verse 14. He says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Here we have no city. Here we have no lasting community. Here we have no lasting life is what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. We should seek the one to come. Writers saying we're to be like Abraham and all those he lists out that have gone before us in Hebrews 11. It's to be the mark of every believer throughout all the ages. That's why we begin with the questions Are you a settler or are you a sojourner? Are you a permanent resident or are you one who is passing through? This morning, as we pause to mark the passing of another year, let us, in view of the text, examine our lives. Reflect upon our lives and be stirred by the words of Hebrews 13, 14. This morning, the theme of the sermon is simply this, seeking the city to come. That's our theme. Seeking the city to come. As we look at our theme, we're going to examine three things. First of all, we're going to look at the reason we're to seek the city to come. Second, the way to seek the city to come. And third, we're to be resolved in doing this. This is where we're going this morning. And so, let us think about the reason why to seek the city to come. One of the primary reasons we're to seek the city to come is because here, no city will last. No city will last. The writer's speaking to Jewish Christians here in this letter. And it seems that these believers were being tempted, attracted to a particular city. City namely being Jerusalem. There's various reasons why they were attracted to this city. As we read about the city in Scripture, it's very beautiful. It represented all their history. It represented those who had gone before them. It represented kings that they had had over the histories of their lives. Additionally, the temple was established there. It was in the temple that was the very heart of Judaism. All the ordinances of the temple took place there. The ceremonies, the sacrifices took place. It's where they met with God. It's where they heard about the atonement. It's where they heard and learned about the way of reconciliation. It's where they were blessed by the priest, as number 6 tells us. This was all part of their history. It was all part of their old faith. But now, as they are believers, now that they are 
followers of Jesus. The writer is reminding them that that beautiful city and all its glory and everything that it represents is now past. Why? Because, because of Christ and because He's better, because He's true, it's been superseded. It's been fulfilled. It's come to its climax in Christ. And so the writer's telling them, don't cling to it anymore. Don't be tempted to go back to it anymore. Everything that it represents, Christ has fulfilled. And so now as believers, they're instructed to look for something greater. The eternal inheritance. Not only were they tempted to go back to their former way of life because of all that the city represented to them, but they were tempted to go back because of the hostility that they were facing because of Christ. So the writer of Hebrews reminds his audience of the fleeting nature of this world and to not be tempted to go back to the types and shadows of the old covenant, but to look to Christ. And the writer of Hebrews reminds them, here we have no lasting city. You see, they could have went back to their old ways, but they would have left the fountain of hope, Jesus Christ. To return to any form of Judaism and a sacrificial system was to leave the once and for all sacrifice of Christ. And to leave the once and for all sacrifice of Christ would be to return to a state of hopelessness. As the writer of Hebrews reminded his audience, here we have no lasting city, I think we also are reminded that what we are currently experiencing in this life is passing. Let us pause for a moment and consider how this relates to us today. If you're like me, and I'm sure you are, we're tempted each day to live for the comfort and ease of this world. We're tempted to return to the old way of life. That's our struggle. That's the tension that we face each day is caring too much for this world and caring too little for Christ and being tempted to go back to our former ways of living. As William Gurnall once said, he says, nothing more unbecomes a heavenly hope than an earthly heart. You see, there's no lasting city here. There's no lasting satisfaction here. All that the world boasts about, all that the world offers, all that it promises is fleeting and empty. Even the finest treasures that this world offers passes away. So the question would be, why would you then build your house on the sand? Why would you build your house on the sand? Why would you want this present world to be your dwelling place in its present condition. Why? In other words, why would you want to settle in a place that's filled with sin, decay, and death? Why? Why would you place your hope in a place that is filled with frustrations and disappointments? Why would you want a world that's filled with instability and hostility to be where you drop your anchor? There's so many scriptural examples to remind us that no city will last. 
No city will last. When you think about even at the very beginning in Genesis, after the fall of man, we see in Genesis 6-5 that wickedness was increasing and every intention and thoughts of man's heart was evil continually. And God destroyed the earth through a flood. You remember this. Certainly, that passage is dealing with the judgment of God. It's dealing with God's grace as well because God in His grace and mercy, what did He do? He spared Noah and his family. But God judged the earth. He destroyed the earth. And I think out of that, we're reminded that here there is no lasting city. Here, there is no lasting community. Here, there is no lasting life. We're reminded of that all throughout Scripture. Or you think about Sodom and Gomorrah. You think about what happened to them. You remember in Genesis 13 where Abram and Lot separated ways and Lot chose uh, the area going towards Sodom because he saw that it was well-watered and cared-for area. And he moved that way and eventually moves into Sodom. And you remember in Genesis 18, Genesis 18, Abraham is interceding and praying for God to spare people in Sodom. And you remember in Genesis 19, what, is, what happens? God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. This text has always perplexed me, wondering what Abraham thought. In Genesis 19, 27-29, it says, Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. He looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like a smoke of the furnace. So it was when God destroyed the cities of the valley. I wonder what Abraham thought. I wonder what was in his mind. Certainly, again, it was the judgment of God and His grace sparing some who were there. But it's a reminder to us today that all cities will come to an end. They'll come to an end. Or you think about Jerusalem and Nehemiah and Ezra, the story about the rebuilding of the city. A reminder there that all cities will be destroyed. Or Revelation verse 18, where John forecasts the end of Babylon. It's a great city of man. It's a city that is described as a city of great wealth and beauty. But we're told in Revelation 18, it will be destroyed. I think all this illustrates for us what will happen to every city. Every city will not last. You know, think about it. Even earthly examples now, there are places all over the world that are ruins and are tourist attractions, but no longer inhabitable. Think about that. I remember in the early 2000s, I was in Palmyra, Syria northern part of Syria, and please get this image in your mind, we were riding camels through uh, Roman ruins. <laughs> that was an interesting thing in itself, just getting on the camel and getting up. But we rode through these massive ruins in Palmyra, Syria, where Colosseum and Senate, so many things were still standing. But it was eerie, because we were the only ones there. All these ruins that were falling apart, collapsing, somewhat standing still, but no one was there. It's because no city will last. It's a challenge for us, isn't it? 
especially for building for the here and now. Of course, we are to be good stewards of God's creation, and we are to live our lives for the glory of God. That is our aim. But if we are investing everything into this world, into this life, into our cities, you realize you're living unwise. Consider how many people have journeyed through this earth. Ones who would say, make statements like this, look what I've built. Look what I've accomplished. Look what I've become. And they've poured themselves into, their whole life poured themselves into things that will not last. Jesus reminded of this in the Gospels. That they're laying up treasures where, G- where moth and rust will corrupt. Where thieves will break in and steal. I remind you this morning, my brothers and sisters, here we have no lasting city. That's part of the reason we're to seek the city to come. Because it's foolish to seek a city that will pass away. But the other reason we need to be seeking the city to come is what the writer makes very clear is that there is a city that is coming that will endure. It's the city of God. The author of the letter of Hebrews features it all throughout this letter. You think about what he says in Hebrews 11 verse 10. He says, For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Listen to that. It's a city that is solid and sure. A city that endures. In other words, it's an everlasting city because its builder is our great eternal God. There's a city coming. Hebrews 11:16, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city, a city in which the Lord is building for his people. Hebrews 12 verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion listen to this, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gatherings. Notice how he classifies it. He says the city of the living God. This is language rooted in what Ezekiel prophesied in Ezekiel 48.35, where he ends and he says, the Lord is there. Jonathan Edwards, in his sermon on 1 Corinthians 13, where he gives a description of heaven, he says, the God that dwells and gloriously manifests Himself there is infinitely lovely, gloriously lovely, as a heavenly Father, as a divine Redeemer, as a holy sanctifier. Let us be reminded this morning, in that better city, the Lord is there. He's there. That's where you should say amen. You contrast that with this world of sin, decay, and death. There's something better coming. It's a city where He Himself dwells. Listen to me. Because God dwells there, that should be what drives us to desire to be there. Because God is there. Because that's His city. That's His kingdom. And we should want to be with Him. Revelation 21. 
As read to us earlier, description of the city, the imagery conveys that it's a holy and pure city. It's holy and pure because the holy God, the pure God is there. It's glorious and majestic. Why? Because God is glorious and majestic. The city is perfect in every respect. Why? Because God's there. Hebrews 10.34 tells us it's a better possession and an abiding one. Now listen to this. In Hebrews 12, verse 27, he tells us it cannot be shaken. It cannot be shaken. So why does the Bible use language like this to describe a city? Look for the city. Talking about a city. I think the language is given to us to help us as believers think about what is to come for the people of God where we will eternally be safe and secure with our Savior, where we will be and live in perfect communion with God and each other, encouraging us in that. So we're to be seeking the city. It's a city that is coming. It's a future city. It's a city that will someday appear, is what John tells us in Revelation. It's not yet here, the writer tells us. We have to wait for it. There's only one city that endures, and it's a city that will forever be in contrast to the passing cities of this world. This is a reason why we are to seek the city to come. Because here, we have no lasting city. There's only one city that will last. And it's the glorious city of our great God. But what is the way to seek the city? How do we seek it? What is the way in which that is to be done? What does it mean? What does it look like? Well, I think the first thing to say here on how we seek the city to come is that we treasure Christ above all things. We treasure Christ above all things. That's the sermon series we've just went through. That Jesus is the true and better. He's better than Adam. He's better than Isaac. He's better than Moses. He's better than David. He is better. So we are to treasure Him as the true and better. The main point throughout the whole book of Hebrews is to look to Jesus Look to Him. Consider Him. It's what Thomas Goodwin, the 17th century Puritan, described when he said, it is to have Jesus Christ continually in one's eye. A habitual sight of Him. A habitual sight of Him. See, they were in danger of falling away. They were looking to return to their former way of life. They were looking to an earthly city. It was easier in that culture and in that time to be a Jew than a Christian. It was safer. It was risky to be a Christian. And they were feeling that pressure. And the writer of Hebrews knows this, and he encourages them to not compromise, to not fall back, to not draw away, to not give up on Christ. Why? Because the writer knew that Jesus is not just an alternative to Judaism. No, Jesus, hear this this morning, was the fulfillment of all the Old Covenant. The fulfillment of all the Old Testament. Everything leading to Christ was just types and shadows. 
Jesus fulfilled them all. You think about, He's the consummation of all those sacrifices. He's the priest who offers Himself for His people. He's the priest who has both compassion and sympathy for His people. He's the prophet who brings the final, ultimate Word of God. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the ultimate source of rest for weary souls. He's the mediator and guarantor of a better covenant. He entered through a greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, none of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places. He's the object of our faith. He's the King whose kingdom cannot be shaken. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. And this is what the writer's reminding them of. Keep trusting Christ. There's nothing greater, there's nothing more superior, there's nothing better than Christ. Look to Christ. But more specifically in the context of our Chapter 13, there are two things the writer says about how we're to do it. We are, one, to commit ourselves to Christ. Commit ourselves to Christ. He tells them, therefore, let us go, in verse 13, outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. They wanted to be safe in Jerusalem, safe in the Old Covenant, stay inside the camp, storing up treasures, earthly treasures. They didn't want to go outside the camp where Christ was. But there they would be safe for all eternity. The writer reminds them that Christ was not welcome. Christ was on the outside of the camp. Christ was rejected. And he was reminding them they are to commit themselves to Him no matter what the cost. That's why he says, go outside the camp. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whatever it costs you to be a Christian, the writer tells us, embrace it. Some may mock you. Some may reject you. Some may make life hard for you. In the case of those he was writing to, some may be imprisoned. Some may be killed. But the writer says, commit yourself to Christ. Paul says in Philippians 1.29, For it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but suffer for His sake. It's not that we run to suffering, but we receive it. We endure it. We are to commit ourselves to Christ, no matter what comes our way. In verses 15 and 16, we are to live for Christ. He says, Through Him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Two things he says here. By our mouths we're to be praising Him, and by our lives we are to be pleasing Him. You see that in the text. We're, it's words of sacrifice. We are to sacrifice our time. We're to sacrifice our energy. We're to sacrifice our reputation. We're to sacrifice our resources. This is the life of the one who's just passing through. Not the settler, but the sojourner. And what he's driving home here is in that in seeking the city to come, we should be so utterly consumed by Christ, so utterly given to serving 
and delighting in Him that that is our very life. In view of our text, we need to be resolved to do it. It's our last point. You need to be resolved to do it because here we have no lasting city, but we seek the one to come. Verse 14 describes the life of the believer. Do you understand that? That's the life of the believer he's describing. And that when God saves you, hear this this morning, He makes you a sojourner. He makes you a stranger to this world. He did this to Abraham. He was living in Ur. He was living in the city of man. He was giving himself to his own indulgences. He was living in service to his idols. But God, God called him out and uprooted him and moved him and he lived the rest of his days in tents. He was a picture of what a Christian should look like. One who is sojourning through life. This is a mark of His gracious work in the believer's life. It's evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in you when you set your sights on things to come. On the city of God. That's what all believers are to look like. And if this is what all true believers are to look like, it should drive us to examine our lives and ask ourselves, am I seeking the city to come? Or am I a settler? Perhaps you're here this morning and you're giving your life entirely to the things of this earth. Entirely to the city of man. You're investing your life in the passing city. Psalm 49 speaks to this. Where in the pride of man, it says, in their inner thoughts, they believe that their houses would last forever. But it won't happen. It'll pass away. There's only one way to be part of the city to come. And that is by faith alone in Christ alone. Revelation 21-27 ends with a warning after describing that great city, John says, but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those whose names are written in the book of life. If that is you this morning and you're only living for this world, for this city, I want to call you to repent of your sins. I want to call you to Christ who is the true and better or perhaps you're here this morning and you've been seeking the city to come, but you are half-hearted in doing it. You want both. You want the city of man and you want the city of God. You're living with one foot in this world and one foot in the world to come. It's not possible to have both. Our text drives us and calls us to devote yourself entirely to the city that is to come. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're discouraged, you're weary, you're tired, wondering how long will this journey be? I want you to hear this morning, a city is coming. It's coming. It's what the writer tells us. 
Or perhaps you're here this morning and you're wrestling with a certain sin that continues to weigh you down. You continue to struggle to put it to death. I want to say to you this morning, Christ is better than whatever sin you're struggling with. Whatever pleasure that sin gives you, Christ gives you pleasures forevermore. Look to Christ. Be resolved to seek the city to come. As we close, I want to read to you a letter that John Newton wrote titled, The Present and Future Rest of True Believers. It's in this letter he points out four worldly things we will rest from in the city to come. Here's the first thing he mentions. He says, Heaven will be rest from all sin. Heaven will be rest from all sin. Listen to what he says. He says, we shall not carry this burden of sin beyond the grave. We won't carry it there. Second, he says, heaven will also be a rest from all outward afflictions. Where there is no sin, there shall be no sorrow. Third, he says, heaven will also be a rest from Satan's temptation." Listen to what he says. He says he follows them to the last stage of life, but he can follow them no farther. The moment of their departure out of the body shall place them beyond his reach forever. Fourth, he says heaven will also be a rest from unsatisfied desires. Listen to what he says here. He says, we shall rest in full communion with Him whom we love. We shall no more complain of interruptions and imperfections and a careless heart. No longer complain. Christians, my brothers and sisters this morning, I want to remind you, this city is coming. We are almost home. Let's pray. Father, we come to You and give thanks to You for the reminder that we have before us in our text. Thank You, Lord, that You have prepared a city. You have prepared a place for us where You dwell. And so, Lord, as believers in this place, in this room, in this building right now, Lord, we want to say, Lord, we want to be there because You're there. You dwell there. We want to be there with You. Maybe, Lord, for those who are here that do not know You, they're giving their lives entirely for this world. God, I pray You bring conviction to their hearts. I pray through the power of Your Spirit You would lift the veil so they would see the beauty of Jesus Christ and they would come to Him by faith alone. And so, Lord, God, this year, In 2023, let us be resolved to seek the city to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.